Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, chaplain, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. I'd like to talk to you today about churches of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we'll see Satan's strategy to destroy the Lord's churches. Because in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, we see that the Lord explained the things which were, which happened in chapter 1, the things which are, which were included in chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be. Those are the future things of chapters 4 through 22. There's a couple of terms I think that are important to remember. That the angel that is spoken of here is the messenger and it has a reference to that supernatural overseer, the angel, but also carries the idea of that of a pastor. And the lampstand, of course, is a church. That's important. We're going to see that again. And some people would say, well, the church is gone, but we find that again in chapter 11. So what happens? What's the sequence here in Revelation 2 and 3? Well, nothing happens in a microcosm. It's a great, broad understanding. That's to say it doesn't happen countrywide until it happens in the individual churches. So it provides a warning, not only what happens on a big scale, but what happens on a small scale. So that's why we as a church need to be aware. Each one needs to be aware because it starts in the individual churches and it escalates until pretty soon all of them have gone down the same path. So let's look at Revelation 2 and 3 and we'll get some answers because I think Satan has a five-step plan. It's a five-step plan to take over the Lord's churches and basically what he wants to do is to neutralize them, want to take them right out of existence. And we see this five-step plan unfolding in these seven letters to the seven churches from the Lord right here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Now, it's important to see that the seven churches were seven actual churches in Asia Minor. In fact, they really run the sequence of the postal route that began in Ephesus and it ran through the country all the way to Laodicea. They were the main postal stations from which mail would be disseminated to other areas. So this was, as the postal route, that main road, the main route, they established seven churches. The church at Ephesus, we know, was established by the Apostle Paul out of the church of Antioch. And we remember how the church at Antioch in in the book of Acts, chapter 13, they sent Paul out. Ephesus was established. We see that in chapter 19 of Acts. And from there, the church at Ephesus then plants these other six churches. So by the time now that we've reached A.D. 96, only a few decades after these churches have been established, they're already beginning to run into some real serious problems. And the five-step plan Satan has is beginning to show itself. 
So first of all, in chapter 2, we see this. The angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus uh, told to watch the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds, your toil, perseverance, that you can't endure evil men, and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lamps down out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now this letter was written to be directed at the church at Ephesus many years after Timothy's ministry, because if you remember, Paul had established that church. Later, he sends Timothy to go and minister there. And in fact, they had some uh, tremendous ministers and laborers at that church. You will remember that they had Aquila and Priscilla, even Apollos, that great Old Testament teacher, and John the Revelator spent his later years there. They remembered and uh, historians have talked about John the Apostle, called John the Revelator, how he was known as the Apostle of Camel Knees because he had spent so many hours in prayers that it affected his very knees. And this is prior to him being sent off to the Isle of Patmos. He is exiled, and while he is there, he is helping to teach and encourage that church at Ephesus. Well, the young man Timothy did this also, because the church was strong in doctrine. Notice that he said to them, You cannot endure the evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. So they were pretty clear on their theology. They could measure up to anybody by that theology. They were strong in doctrine, committed to godliness. They could not endure evil. They were committed to doing deeds and working hard and persevering many good things. They endured for my namesake, it says in verse 3, and didn't even grow weary. But in spite of all of these strong elements, strong in doctrine, zealous for service, there was a great tragedy here. And that's indicated by that familiar statement we see in verse 4, you left your first love. Now, Ephesus, you remember, was a city where they had a temple to Artemis or Diana, and it was the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world. And according to the archaeologists, it had 127 pillars, each one of those pillars made of marble, which had been given or sent by 127 different kings. Each one was covered in gold, studded with precious stones. So this temple was literally one of the seven wonders of the world, but it was the center of pagan debauchery. There were eunuchs, prostitutes, singers, all kinds of instrumentalists. They would stir the people up into a kind of hysteria and a frenzy that ended up being an orgy of sex and sexual mutilation. 
The church that had been founded there in Acts 19 by Paul was so powerful that the whole city was thrown into confusion and people literally burned their idols and they burned their books of magic. And that created a riot in the city. And so right in the middle of all of this pagan uh, hysteria, this pagan center, was this little church. For three years, Paul had been their pastor. And from this church, six other churches were founded. Well, through the labor of Timothy that was sent there later by Paul, they were drawn out of false doctrine because somehow false teachers had come in and had led them astray. But through the labor of Timothy, they were drawn to solidify the true faith. And through the leadership of Timothy, they reacted and rejected ungodly leaders. They established godliness as the principal character and, and spiritual leadership and the Christian living in the church. Everyone knew that this was the way you should live. They knew what it was to correct lies, to hang on to the truth, to fight heresy, to discipline evil men, to confront ungodliness. They recognized the demon doctrine and even to be strengthened by some persecution. So they were strong Christians. But even with all that commendation, verse 4 really strikes a note. You have left your first love, and the clear, penetrating eyes of Jesus see through to the heart of the church. Their hearts had grown cold. Their passionate love for Christ, their zeal for God, their deep sense of thankfulness has become a cold orthodoxy. It was becoming just a service. Their first love was gone. The enthusiasm was gone. The thrill was gone. The joy was gone. The honeymoon was over. The Christian routine took over. They were in a rut. I love to read old hymn writers and old forebearers of the gospel. And there was one old German Baptist who wrote and he about his prayer, O oh God, I know I often do your work without your power, and sin by my dead, heartless, blind service, my lack of inward zeal, love, delight, my mind, heart, tongue, all moving without your help. Well, that was Ephesus. It was critical. The Lord stated in verse 5, if they did not repent, he would remove the lampstand. In other words, they would no longer be one of his churches. They would be disowned. Well, this is step one. That's where it begins. You lose your first love. You leave that fiery passion, You that hot heart. And he said to them in verse 5, you've got to get it back. Why in the Old Testament was Israel reminded over and over to set up a monuments they were reminded over and over to have an Ebenezer, a monument that reminded them of some great spiritual day when God had protected or watched over or saved them from some, uh, some need. So sometimes we have to get back by remembering from where we have fallen. Remember that precious love-filled days when you first came to know Christ and you can trace back that memory to those early joys and it was there at the very start and we're called to remember. Hi, this is Paul Thomas. Sorry to interrupt your listening. Permit us to take a moment to let you know how you can contact us at School of Ministry. You can now reach us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com You can also reach us at P.O. Box 837 Valley Springs, California 
1-800-242-9252. Thank you for tuning in. Now, back to the message. And then he says, repent, recognize your present state of sinfulness. Even though you're orthodox, confess your lack of love. Confess your lack of communion with Christ, your lack of worship, your lack of joy. And then he says, repeat. Repeat the first works that you did. Go back and do it the way you did then. Well, they didn't. The church failed. The light went out, never to be lit again. And now the city is dominated by Islam. That's where the disaster began. And when the fiery passion of truth becomes cold orthodoxy, that leads us to the second letter that we're going to talk about, the second step in Satan's five-step plan. And we're going to jump over one of the church. We're going to go to verse 12 in chapter 2. And really, this is the third letter. But the second one I want to point out to you, the letter is to the messenger of the church of Pergamum, or some versions say Pergamos. Tell them this, that the one who has the sharp two-edged sword that's Christ. Remember the definition of the description that we had in chapter 1 in that vision there, and you can look at that. I know where you dwell. You dwell where Satan's throne is, verse 13, and you hold fast my name. You didn't deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who teach and who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Thus, you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly and I'll make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I'll give some of the hidden manna. Uh, to him I'll give a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So this is Pergamus. If Ephesus' fatal flaw was that they left their first love, then Pergamus's fatal flaw is that they compromised with the world. And I'll tell you something, that when the love for Christ goes out, the world comes in. This church was in the middle of paganism. They were right in the center part. In fact, the Pergamum is basically described as where Satan's throne is. What an amazing statement, where Satan's throne is. This is the headquarters of Satan's operation, Satan's throne. Why? Well, because emperor worship was there. It was the head city for the worship of Caesar, but it was also their Pergamum, an altar to Zeus that was shaped like a throne. And it was one of the largest and most renowned altars in the entire ancient world. They also were engaged in the worship of Asclepius, the god of healing. You see him depicted on the medical symbol. He's a snake wrapped around the pole, and he's wrapped around in that symbol. He was the Pergamese god. He was a snake. While in the temple, uh, snakes slithered all over the floor, and people came in to sleep among them and to be healed. This demon healing from the very prince of demons, the old serpent himself. And that was a tough place for the church, but there they were. And he says, first of all, hold fast my name, and you haven't denied my faith. In other words, they were orthodox. They named the name of Christ, and they held on to the true faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, who was a martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. 
But sadly, verse 14, he says, I have a couple of things against you. A few things. First, the teachings of Balaam. You know about Balaam. He taught the Israelites to intermarry with the heathen and thus to become what the heathen were. And this was a failure to be separated. To get the children of Israel to marry the pagans was to get them to eat the things sacrificed to idols, to commit all kinds of acts of immorality that the pagans committed. This was really a seduction, and the seducing of Israel to engage in pagan activity was then going to cause the God of heaven to bring judgment upon Israel. That's the teaching of Balaam. And that's exactly what they, was going on in Pergamos. They were tolerating and teaching the, the teachings of Balaam. They were starting to compromise with the world. Same with the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were some kind of a cult of sinful indulgence. Now here was a church that had taken the second step. First, you lose your first love. And when the love of Christ goes out, the world comes in and you begin to compromise with the world and intermarry with the heathen and the church and the world start to come together and the church becomes characterized by sinful indulgence. There's no church discipline. There's no high standard of holiness. And even though the faith is still orthodox, even though you still believe in Christ and you still believe the true faith, you just tolerate compromising sin and worldliness in the church and there's a failure of separation. I love studying our Baptist history because in that we see one of the marks that our true churches always held to. They always came back and they demanded purity in the churches. Every group from the time of Christ to this very day always demanded that there would be purity in the membership. And we're not seeing that today. We're seeing in our churches so much today that there is compromising and worldliness and failing to have separation. So first the love of Christ goes out. The next thing the world comes in and certainly we're seeing it in our nation. And even though we may be evangelical and we believe in Christ, we're holding on to the true faith, the orthodox faith, but they've kicked the doors wide open for the world to come in in full force. And well, Verse 18 introduces us to step three in this process. And this is to the church of Thyatira. The son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Again, that takes us back to the description of chapter one of how Christ is the Lord of his church. And he says this, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, perseverance. Indeed, as of late are greater than the at first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I cast her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds." I'll kill her children with pestilence. All the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest of who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Well, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast till I come, and he who overcomes... And he who keeps my deeds until the end, 
To him I will give authority over the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, I'll give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's the third letter we're talking about today, to the church of Thyatira. And it starts out, you know, in some small compromises, you know, you let the world in and let's not make an issue out of separation because after all that divides and we want to invite unbelievers in. We need the numbers. We want to make everybody feel comfortable. We want them to feel welcome. We want them to feel accepted in the church. And by the way, that's the very reason why after all the years of ministry that Jonathan Edwards had in the church that he pastored in Massachusetts, he pastored there for 23 years and the church kicked him out because he wanted to keep the standard clean and clear. And he didn't want to admit to the church those who didn't belong to Christ. They threw him out of the church even after all those mighty years of ministry. Well, the same thing is going on here. And in the church at Pergamum, the doors were thrown wide open. The world was invited in. And now once they've come in, the doctrine starts to change. And that's what happens in Thyatira. All of a sudden, you have Jezebel there, who is a false prophet. And she's given opportunity to teach and lead the people astray. We see that today happening where the scripture is clear that women are not to teach and have authority over men. And yet, we have women preachers all around, and they're allowed in, these Jezebel teachers. And so what happened is she was given an opportunity to teach and lead the people, and she led them astray. So first, the first love goes. And then we open the door to let the world in, holding on to our doctrine. And then we allow false teachers in because we've already agreed that we're not going to make a separation and false doctrine come, comes in. Compromise leads to deep sin. One thing I was taught in seminary and over and over, and it's so true, when you compromise, you lose. And here, the Lord refers to the deep things of Satan in verse 24. Boy, what a sad and tragic commentary. You can go out, have a drink, dance, have fun, watch what the world watches. It won't affect you. That's all what the deep things of Satan. That's the lies from the pit of Satan's theology. And some in Thyatira had gone so far that they participated in these idolatrous orgies that were being held. They were committing acts of immorality, eating things that would have been sacrificed to idols. And now this could be exactly what had happened in the Corinthian church. Why Paul told in 1 Corinthians 10 that they could not eat at the table of demons and the Lord's table. The Lord says here in verse 21, you're going to have to repent, but she doesn't want to repent. Now, the church is tolerating sin, and Jezebel doesn't want to repent. So not only were they tolerating sin, but they wouldn't repent of it. They wouldn't make a separation. They wouldn't deal with sin. They wouldn't do church discipline. Not only that, it wouldn't even deal with a heretic. It wouldn't deal with those who hold on to false doctrine, and those who held to the true doctrine we're not exposing the faults and judgment was going to fall. That's why in verse 24, he says, there are a few, some who hold, don't hold to this teaching. Verse 25 says, hang on till I come. You see, the great enemy destroying the church moves slowly. It takes time. First, you lose your first love. Then you end up with cold orthodoxy and become a dead orthodoxy. And then you open the doors to the world to come in and 
then you want to embrace them. You want them to feel welcome. You want them to come in. And all of a sudden, you tolerate sin. And all of a sudden, we're not dealing with sin. And we come in, and then false doctrine is there. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.